This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. Six minutes after the hour, yours truly, Frank Morano here. Well, a lot to get to. This is Elvis's birthday. Hopefully, if uh, time permits, we'll play some more Elvis music. A lot of, you know, one of the, again, for a guy that died at such a young age, someone, really one of the most incredible and most fascinating characters in history. A lot of folks don't know his look was based on a comic book. Speaking of our earlier conversation about comics, he was a huge fan of of the comic book Captain Marvel Jr. And I've never been to Graceland, but I have many friends that have. And his collection is still in the Graceland attics. And it is widely believed that Elvis modeled his look on the teenage superhero Captain Marvel Jr. You know, from the sideburns to the half-cape jumpsuits, there is a striking similarity between his real-life look and that of his childhood hero. He even adopted the uh, the lightning bolt symbol. It was all over his uh, private and wall and his TV room wall. You know, it's funny. When he visited the White House to see President Nixon, he was greeted by the woman that would then become Pat Buchanan's wife because she was working in the White House then, as was Pat. That's how they met. And it was her job to tell Elvis, who always walked around with guns, that he could not bring his guns (laughs) to see President Nixon. And uh, a lot of folks don't know, Elvis dyed his hair. You know, we always picture that shiny black hair. It It was dyed. It was a dye job. He was a natural blonde, as I understand it. So, uh, really an incredible uh, person and uh, a really an incredible performer as well. And he loved those peanut butter and bacon sandwiches. You know, I tried to look for, I had Johnny Russo, who obviously is best known for playing uh, Carlo in The Godfather. I had Johnny Russo on this program maybe a dozen times, and he was great, really an interesting guy. And he described going for these peanut butter sandwiches with Elvis, and he was an incredible fan of these peanut butter and bacon sandwiches. And really just uh, something. And a black belt in karate. I mean, with performing like that, that kind of travel schedule, when did the guy have time to be a black belt in karate? I guarantee you if Elvis had lived, he would have been on one of these Jeffrey Epstein documents. Because, you know, it's funny. These Epstein documents... 
the narrative has totally been upended because initially no one wanted to be mentioned in these Epstein documents. And then what's happened? We've seen nobody charged with any crime, nobody viewing many of the negative things about any of the people as terribly damning and or accurate. And yet it's a who's who. Oh, Al Gore and Bill Clinton and uh, this person and that person. It's a who's who in every aspect of society. So now it's almost the inverse of where we were two years ago. Now, if you're a big shot, you want to be mentioned in these Epstein documents. You see, you see, you see, I was hanging out with those guys, too. Now it's a different ballgame. I mentioned this on um, Friday that I don't think there's a bigger, you know, a more interesting person mentioned in these Epstein documents than Professor Stephen Hawking. Stephen Hawking, who is one of the smartest men in the world, a renowned physicist who had Lou Gehrig's disease for most of his adult life. And there was an allegation that he would, uh, Stephen Hawking would go to Epstein's Virgin Island estate. And there was even an accusation that, which I don't believe, by the way, that Stephen Hawking would, would participate in orgies from time to time. There was an article in the New York Post over the weekend which just made me laugh because the headline was, No orgies for Honorable Stephen Hawking, fellow scientist says following Epstein doc Trump's uh, dumps. Stephen, this is from the Post. Stephen Hawking would not be part of an orgy, a fellow scientist insisted to the Post in the wake of newly released court documents that uh, mention an allegation that the renowned physicist participated in an underaged sex fest on Jeffrey Epstein's island. Now, all I'm thinking of is this scientist who was not with him at the most intimate moments of his life. How do you know? How do you know? But sure enough, Laura Mersini Houghton, who in 2015 organized a conference in Sweden on black holes with Stephen Hawking, said, quote, he never mentioned... When we work together, Epstein or any such things. Gee, I wonder why. Um, Stephen was a very honorable man. He was not the kind of a man who would be part of an orgy, said the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill professor. Now, again, I, I don't think that he was participating in orgies either. But what a ridiculous thing to say. He was not the kind of man that would that would be part of an orgy. Do you get the sense when you see the people that might attend an eyes wide shut party that when they go out into society that they're wearing a label that says, "Yes, I'm an orgy guy. I have a throw rug and uh, you know exposed chest hair and on my uh, you know on my shirts that, that I'm keeping open." I mean, come on. How does this person know if he was an orgy guy? It's ridiculous. When a very highly reputable family, and he says, uh, she says that Hawking would not have accepted a free ride either. When a highly reputable family offered to arrange and pay for the profoundly disabled Hawking's travel to the conference in exchange for him giving a lecture in their hometown, he turned them down. Well, I mean, again, not... uh, 
to disparage Stephen Hawking. And this is why I don't love these negative allegations coming out after people are already dead. But I would think if you're into this sort of thing, a an orgy is probably a lot more fun than giving a lecture. I, so I don't even understand how this person said this with any credibility. The bottom line is you don't know unless you were intimately involved with Stephen Hawking. You don't know what he was into. Nobody does. So that's that. All right. 800-848-9222. Going to get back to your calls in a minute. Speaking of uh, sexual stuff, I don't know what it is with the New York Times. They are obsessed with everybody's sexuality. You know, the New York Times loves to act so highbrow, so uh, highfalutin as, oh, the New York Times, yes, all the news that's fit to print, yes. But the bottom line is they're just as interested in clickbait as any other tabloid publication. We saw that with that front page story they did a year or so ago on Ed Koch and his sexuality. Uh, Why we needed to, after he's dead, do a whole big expose on Ed Koch secretly being gay is beyond me. But uh, the New York Times is also not immune to Taylor mania. All you have to do is mention that Taylor Swift likes something and viewership goes up. She was at the Golden Globes last night, so they're saying that might be what causes the Golden Globes to go over 6 million viewers. So they they did this New York Times opinion piece, which speculated that, uh, these are the words in New York Times, that Taylor Swift is actually a closeted queer person. And this is drawing the ire of a lot of Taylor Swift's friends and associates. So um, one of them told CNN, because of her massive success in this moment, there is a Taylor shaped hole in people's ethics. This article wouldn't have been allowed to be written about Sean Mendez or any male artist whose sexuality has been questioned by fans. This person is right. There seems to be no boundary. Some journalists won't cross when writing about Taylor regardless of how invasive, untrue, and inappropriate it is, all under the perspective veil of an opinion piece. So it's a 5,000-word five, 5, piece, 5,000 words, written by the um, uh, editor, Anna Marks. Well, she strung together this long list of LGBTQ references, some overt, some perceived, and that Taylor Swift has weaved into her songs and performances, and she is suggesting, Ms. Marks, that, that Swift had perhaps for years been trying to signal that she identifies with the queer community. And I just thought, what a ridiculous thing to say. If Taylor Swift wanted to, you know, wanted the public to know that she was gay... Why wouldn't she just say that she was gay? If she is gay, do you really think she needs this, the publicity of a fake relationship with uh, not only Travis Kelsey, but all these other guys that she supposedly, that she's been with over the years? But even if all that's true, even if every word of this 5,000 words is, is accurate and she is secretly queer, as the Times puts it, 
Just like I said with Ed Koch. Who cares? I mean, same with Ed Koch. If what is the value to the public of knowing the details of their sexual orientation? Is this really the best words of 5,000 words in the opinion, best use of 5,000 words in the opinion section? Of course not. I think what you're seeing here is swift mania. Look, and I've been guilty of this. All we have to do is mention Taylor Swift on this program, and you immediately see a dramatic uptick in the live streaming numbers. That's it. That's it. You just have to say Taylor Swift, and immediately, thousands and thousands of people tune in. And then as soon as you stop talking about Taylor Swift, tune back out. The same is true for football. The same is true for live concerts. The same is true for movies. And now the New York Times wants to benefit from those same clicks. They want to benefit from the Swift click mania. But uh, this is so lowbrow. I mean, there was a time where it was considered inappropriate, Bush League, objectionable, to out people without outing them, right? To kind of say, hey, you see that person? They're actually gay. When did this become suitable, even in the opinion section, for a reputable news source? I think it's ridiculous. All right. uh, If you want to comment on uh, Taylor Swift, Elvis, or... Stephen Hawking not being an orgy guy because someone that he did a conference with in 2015 has said so. Be my guest. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. Coming up in a bit, we'll talk with uh, Noam Layden. He's got a bunch of news. You know, I love these segments with Noam. Somebody reached out to me the other day um, over the weekend and said, you know, Noam, find I read all these newspapers and Noam is able to find these stories that I'm ne- I've never heard, seen anywhere else. But that's the attention that uh, that he puts into preparing these stories and bringing them to you. So uh, that is that's something you know something there's something to be proud of. I think. Hey, somebody sent me an article over the weekend, which says that interrupted sleep in your 30s and 40s is linked to cognitive decline. Um, If that's true, because I've had interrupted sleep because of my unusual work hours for decades now, literally 20 20 years, I'm done for. Everything else that I've done that will help me cognitively, if the interrupted sleep hurts you, then I am done for. And I just love this story. This story is out of uh, DeKalb, Illinois, There's an 80-year-old piece of mail that resurfaced at the DeKalb post office, and it created a push on social media to unite the postcard with its intended recipient. You heard me correctly. It's 80 years old. It was a lost letter that was addressed to Lewis and Lavina George, who lived on South 6th Street in DeKalb. And a post office employee tracked down a surviving member of the George family, and delivered the letter to Grace Salazar, who recently moved from DeKalb to Portland, Oregon. Shortly after, another surviving daughter of the Georges, Jeanette, was able to read the letter. And uh, they said that uh, a message from... This was the woman, Jeanette, the daughter. 
She said, a message from the past seemingly showing up out of nowhere, that's pretty incredible. Everybody was just like, my God, you know, gobsmacked, just like, what is this? So the letter was sent from her father's first cousin, sending condolences to the couple who had recently lost their daughter, Evelyn, to cystic fibrosis. Um, Quote, I got emotional about it. I mean, losing a child is always horrific. It just sort of put me in touch with my parents' grief and the losses my family went through before I was even born. Now, Jeanette says she's even more grateful than ever for her family. So that's nice. I I think that's great that um, they went to the trouble of getting this letter to the next of kin of the recipient. The post office employee who found the letter says the most likely reason for its disappearance was the lack of a house number on the mailing address. See, let that be a lesson to you. We have 13 or 14 days until um, postage stamps goes up, uh, the price of the postage stamp, both regular stamps and uh, postcard stamps, which are a little cheaper. They're both going up. But... Always include a house number. People love getting letters. They really do, especially these days. But there's just something about the nature of postcards where folks omit the house number. I don't know why. So you got to always double check. All right. Um, lastly, and then I'll take your calls at 800-848-9222. There's uh, five open lines if you want to comment. Miami police are debunking rumors of an alien creature that um, has been getting a lot of attention. This is really something. So people thought they saw an alien in a video that was, you know, put out there by the Miami police, and they are saying that that's not the case. And people are developing all these theories to say, oh, no, yes, it was. Yes, it was. Well, I I have no idea. But there was this viral video from an emergency response on New Year's Day. And the video does appear to show a strange figure or gray creature walking near police vehicles during an incident at the Bayside Marketplace in Miami. Cops insist there was no extraterrestrial going on. So thousands have engaged with the post on Twitter, and they claim that the video features 10-foot alien, alien creatures. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. But over 60 cop cars responded to this open-air mall late on Monday night due to a large group of teens said to be causing a riot inside the mall. So the teens, four of whom were later arrested, were causing panic when uh, cops said that um, they were lighting off fireworks. So the arrested teens, which were a 14-year-old, 16-year-old, two 15-year-olds, they were all taken into custody, and the 15-year-olds were also arrested on charges of burglary, but a lot of these folks are not convinced that the perceived threat was entirely human. Uh, One guy on Twitter who follows this stuff said, so we're not going to be told the truth about why Miami had possibly the biggest police response I've ever seen in my life. They're saying it was for teenagers fighting. What really happened? So they're claiming that the the response from these uh, cops was not proportional to what would have been the case as if it was just teenagers. So you judge for yourself. 
800-848-9222. Oh, I was happy to see, so speaking of the Golden Globes, I was happy to see that Cillian Murphy won for uh, Oppenheimer. He's the fellow that plays Dr. Oppenheimer in the movie. Here's a little bit of his speech. And you know what? The, the speeches were all short and timed, and there were, just in the half or hour or so that I was watching, all of the recipients, they kept referencing to how much time they had left. 14 seconds left. I only had 13 seconds left. So they were keeping people on that clock. Here's uh, Cillian Murphy. Oh, boy. Uh, first question, do I have lipstick all over my nose? Uh, I'm just going to leave it. Uh, um, I, I knew the first time that I walked on uh, a Chris Nolan set that it was different. I could tell by the level of uh, rigor, the level of focus, the level of dedication, the complete lack of any seating options for actors, <laughs> that it was, I was in the hands of a visionary director, a master, and I want to thank Chris and Emma for having the faith in me for, for 20 years. Um, one of the most beautiful and vulnerable things about being an actor is that you can't do it on your own, really. And. We had the most incredible ensemble cast in this movie. There was magic, and some of them are here today. Emily Blunt, Robert Downey Jr., Matt Damon, Gary Oldman. Thank you for carrying me and holding me through this movie. Um, thank you, too. Thank you. Uh, I mean, the rest is standard award show stuff. I don't think there were many highlights from, uh, you know, in terms of anything different in that. But anyway, it's funny that he mentioned Christopher Nolan. Christopher Nolan's the director of Oppenheimer. He's directed a lot of movies over the years, and he's got a movie out. I, I guess it's out now. It's called Tenet, T-E-N-E-T. And there was a Peloton instructor. Peloton is uh, basically an exercise bike that you have a screen in front of you, and you could take classes. But you take them at home, and an electronic instructor, she could be instructing 5,000 different people. So this Peloton instructor took time during her class to air her grievances about the movie Tenet and the director of the film, Christopher Nolan. So Jen Sherman, the instructor who leads these virtual workout classes for Peloton, that can you can take them live, you can take them on demand, she played a song from Tenet during this cycling class. This is actually a few years ago. It was 2020. And she asked the people at home streaming the class if they had seen the movie. Did anybody see this besides me? Because I need a manual. Someone's got to explain this. I'm not kidding. And she kept ranting about the movie. It was a science fiction, it was, you know, science fiction film. And ultimately, they found out that Christopher Nolan, and she was very tough. She says, that's two and a half hours of my life that I want back, and I want it back. And Christopher Nolan was taking the class at the time. The, the director that she was bashing was actually listening to her comments about how terrible the movie was. So um, I thought that was funny. I uh, I mean, it's, it's funny, but it's also a reminder that whenever you're on social media or the radio or in the newspaper or anywhere else bashing someone, you know, there's a good chance people will see what you say. So maybe be careful what you say. All right, 800-848-9222 if you want to comment. Gnome Layden joins us straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. 
Handling legal matters is stressful. So let the law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. provide you with the insightful counsel you deserve. The law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. has successfully handled thousands of cases for 25 plus years. They focus on elder law and estate planning, but are equipped to navigate you through all stages of family law and divorce to real estate law and probate. The law offices of Frank Bruno. Call 718-418-5000 or visit them at frankbrunolaw.com. That's frankbrunolaw.com. Frank Bruno. He's your numero uno. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. Hey, listen, world, you've got to know I'm cutting loose and letting go Who needs the worry and the 32 strive. minutes after the hour, celebrating Elvis Presley's birthday. This is a great song. Uh, lo- absolutely love this song and the movie in with, that it was featured in, no doubt about it. All right, um, and it's time for us to get uh, a little bit of news. Are you ready? Are you ready? Be ready, because you need to stand by for... Stand by for the other side of Midnight's News. From New York City, the other side of Midnight and its affiliated stations present national and international news with Frank Morano and news director Noam Layden. Their summary of the world news and personal comments. Get the rest of the story. Hello there, Noam. Good morning, Frank. What is it with these recent flight mishaps that are really frightening? You know, last week we told you about the one in Japan where a cargo plane, a military cargo plane, slammed into a passenger plane. Amazingly, all 327 people on the passenger plane survived, mostly because the flight crew was so amazing of getting them off Mm -hmm. the plane before the engine blew up and the whole plane caught fire. Then over the weekend, there was an Alaska Airlines flight that was flying from Portland to Ontario. And about 18 minutes after takeoff, all of a sudden, a just huge hole blew out the side of the plane. I mean, a serious hole the size of a refrigerator. Yeah, so the photos. No it's joke. amazing. I can't right? imagine, you know, just being on that plane at that time. Well, so we're hearing from some of the people who are on the plane telling us what happened. If you hadn't heard this story, the another amazing moment by a flight crew. Let's give them kudos for doing the job that they do. This uh, part of the plane just blows out. Uh, the kid who is sitting right next to where this piece of plane just falls out, his, it, the wind is so intense that it rips off his shirt. So he's sitting there shirtless. His phone goes out the window. Teddy bears. Uh... Things that were on people's trays go flying out this window. Of course, people start screaming. Others in the back of the plane and the front of the plane did not know what was going on. Mm. And the flight crew yelling at people, stay seated. Make sure that seatbelt on is as tight as possible. Don't worry, we're going to get you back to Portland. They were just, uh, you know, 18 minutes into this flight. So now they're going to turn the plane around. 
Uh, what they say, the people on board, was amazing job done by this flight crew. They said, stay calm. The oxygen masks came down. Uh, they told people, put those oxygen masks on. They did. They uh, say from that moment on, it was eerily quiet on this plane. It was dark, but there was this huge hole with cold wind coming in. They then turned this plane around to make an emergency landing. They can contact the control tower, say, you know, this is a real emergency. We need to come back. There are some great moments on this plane of people who are just panicking. One guy is sitting in his aisle and he's sitting next to a woman. You know what this is like. You get on the flight. You don't know who you're sitting next to. This woman looks at him and says, I really need you to hold my hand. I am so worried about us getting back on the ground. So they hold hands. There was another example. Same thing. A young woman in the back of the plane looked at the guy who was sitting next to her. She'd never met him in his life. Can you do me a favor? Can you hold my hand until we land? Sure, I'll hold your hand. So now you have these relationships of people chatting with each other, trying to keep each other calm, because they didn't know what was going right, to happen, sure. right? you got a huge gaping hole the size of a refrigerator in the plane. Uh, it makes uh, landing at, back at the Portland airport. Uh, they have the EMTs come on. Make sure everybody's okay for very minor injuries. Within 15 minutes or so, there are more EMTs out in the terminal. As those passengers get on, they check them. Everybody fine. So now they're going to ground this certain plane that was involved. They've grounded the flights as they make sure that there's nothing wrong with this structural outsides of this airplane, this aircraft. They're going to check that out over the next couple of days. But in another amazing moment where there's some really frightening stuff happening, men air, you can imagine, looking and seeing this gaping hole and saying, am I going to survive this thing? And the truth is, everybody did. You know, some people lost some cell phones, some stuff that were on their tray tables, but everybody okay? Nobody chased after their iPad like they did in the last uh, last instance that we talked about, right? Yeah, well, we had the Japan flight where they had the, uh, the slides out. And, you know, they're worried about anything puncturing those slides. And they told people, don't grab your luggage. The plane's on fire. And there were numerous examples of people grabbing their uh, laptops and that kind of thing because they didn't want to leave them behind and then jumping off the plane. So from the time on this uh, Alaska Airlines flight, from the time that there was the hole in the plane to the time that they landed again, it was about 18 minutes? Well, it was 18. They were about 18 minutes into the air. Uh, the whole thing might have I'm been just, about an hour together by the time they got back yeah, on the plane. Yeah, I'm just wondering how long they flew with this oh, gaping was, hole in It was the about plane. 30 minutes. Was it? Wow. Yeah, yeah. Jeez, that's, uh, that's something. Yeah, yeah. So great, great job by them. Yeah. What is going on in the District of Columbia? We know that it's been a crime ridden city for years and they can't seem to find their way around to fix it. But did not know that car thefts are incredibly high in the District of Columbia. Last year, 6,800 people had their cars stolen. That was an 82% spike from 2022. Now we are into 2024. And in 2024, so we're at, what's today's date? January 8th. January 8th. 53 cars have already been stolen. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So what is going on? Why they can't get the control of this? The whole vehicle, not just a catalytic converter. No, the whole car. Gee. The whole car. In fact, there was this one example on New Year's Day. Uh, Jessie Sethi and her husband had just gotten off a train at Union Station. They had um, hailed a, a lift on, you know, on their phone. The lift shows up. They put their luggage in the car. One uh, Seth has uh, Jesse has his hand on the car to get in. All of a sudden, the car takes off. 
they realized that the Lyft driver had gotten out of the car to put the luggage into the trunk. And as he did, someone had jumped into the lift and taken <laughs> off with the car. That's how crazy it is. I don't mean to is. laugh, but that's crazy. Isn't that crazy? My goodness. Bananas. Now, the amazing thing is, give the police some credit, they were able to find this car not too long later. It had been abandoned. Uh, the couple's luggage was still in the car, so they got their luggage back. But it is so bad in D.C. now that the mayor there has told people to leave air tags in their cars. So... Instead of, you know, of course, the argument might be, well, how about trying to figure out who the people are right. behind and us? arrest them, ideally. Right, yeah. but there's teams of people. This has become sort of epidemic all across the country. D.C., just a, another example, where you have these teams of thieves who steal these cars and then are able to get them to the local docks, and then they're shipped overseas where they make their money selling these cars uh, on secondary markets. Yeah. I mean, that sounds, that sounds rough. And so... Um, it sounds like D.C. is kind of leading the pack in terms of auto theft. It is. Yeah. And you know, just the fact that you have 53 cars stolen. Amazing. And it's only January 8th is really outrageous. Absolutely. Uh, this California man, desperate in his race against time. Arthur Yu has cancer and he needs a bone marrow donor. His cousin is a match, but he lives in the Philippines. Mm. So... They reach out and they realize there's a match. And this is, I mean, he he needs this right away. And he goes to apply for his visa, this Filipino cousin, and he's denied. Wait, the cousin is denied? Yes. So Arthur Yu lives here in California. His cousin's in the Philippines. Arthur's the one that needs the bone marrow. His cousin goes to apply for a visa, as anybody does a lot of times when they try to come to the States. He's denied. He goes back. And he says, this is, I'm not just going for, it's not, this is not recreational. I'm not going to see Hollywood, right? right? I am going to save my cousin's life. It's a cousin he doesn't even know that well, but he asked in the entire family to take this test to see if it would match. So then he goes and he says, goes in, he applies a second time saying, hey, by the way, this has nothing to do with a vacation or a business trip. I just need to get there. He's denied a second time. By American authorities? Yes. So now they try to figure out, is there something going on with their cousin? He doesn't know him that well. Is there something up that we don't know about? Doesn't seem like there is. So now, uh, over the last week or so, finally they uh, made a video. I mean, this is how bad it gets sometimes. Uh, Their family member said, hey, how about creating a TikTok, a YouTube video, where you explain what's going on with you, Arthur, you, I have bone marrow, my cousin's in the Philippines. Maybe somebody in authority, somebody high up will see it. Well, sure enough. Uh, one of the senator's offices in California saw this video. Oh. So now they're trying. They haven't been able to do this oh. yet. And it's really a race against time. They have not been able to get him out of the Philippines yet. They say they are working um, with uh, the authorities in the Philippines and, of course, here. And they're going to try to get this guy here as soon as possible. Hopefully it will not be too late. My goodness. I mean, I, my heart goes out to this guy, but... Uh... I don't understand. With all the people that do manage to make their way to the country, someone that is uh, going to provide a life-saving service, in this case the bone marrow transplant, I don't get it at all. Neither do I. Well, thank you, Noam. And now you know the rest of the story. Oh, by the way, Noam, if you didn't know, i uh, number one in my football pool this season. Thank you. Amazing. I should Thank have, you. I, I was in a pool and I came in dead last. I should have listened to you. <laughs> so the person, that, and I know very little about football, the person that finished dead last in mine knows all about football. Of course, that's always the way it is. So there you go. Yeah, if you need picks next season, 
Come to me. All right, 800-848-9222 if you want to comment on uh, anything that we have been uh, talking about. But the story of that midair blowout that uh, Noam was just mentioning, I mean, uh, you really, you thank your lucky stars if you're on that plane because you think it could have been a lot worse. I mean, on a late afternoon flight, minutes after takeoff, the section that failed was said to be a panel where this particular models have the option for an emergency exit. The seat configuration for Alaska Airlines does not require the exit, so the panel had been plugged after production. See, I think that's going to be the issue here. So officials are searching for the lost panel. They uh, think that, that it landed along Route 217 west of the city of Portland. Boeing's MAX models were involved in a pair of deadly crashes in 2018 and 2019, which were ultimately linked to an unrelated issue with new autopilot software. But, uh, you know, I listened right before the show. I'm sorry to pull the audio. But I listened to the pilot's call with air traffic control. And you really do get the sense that, and again, not to keep repeating this depending on the circumstance, that that kind of calm, measured tone, cool, calm, and collected, it really does come across in this call with air traffic control. And I think it, if, if you, while I'm sure the pilot's freaking out, I'm sure air traffic control's freaking out, if you really make an effort to maintain that grace under fire, that's big. I think that's big. All right. 800-848-9222. Uh, you can also email me, frank.morano at redappleaudionetworks.com. That's frank.morano at redappleaudionetworks.com. Thrilled to be on uh, KMOX in St. Louis now on a daily basis. Appreciate the uh, the listenership and the patronage of the good folks over in St. Louis. A lot of you have been writing and asking about the latest with our um Cat, well, it's very interesting. I don't see any way we're going to be able to keep this other cat. So if you haven't been following the story, we had three cats. Two of them died, leaving us with one of our own. My in-laws were fostering this one cat, and they were not able to keep the the cat for whatever reason. My uh, mother-in-law didn't want this cat, and so we had three cats. Now we have one. Rachel says, well, we'll take him in. He was called ex-best friend, but we've been calling him Ed, Ed best friend. So we said, we'll take him in, and if he gets along with Prissy, then we'll we'll keep him. So immediately they did not get along. Well, Prissy didn't get along with him. She would hiss. She would be very hostile. And gradually their relationship seems to have improved. And I can't stress enough, this cat is so, the new one, so sociable. Prissy doesn't let Carmine pet her, doesn't let me pet her. Ed lets everybody that wants to pet him. He'll rub right up against you while I'm sleeping sometimes. He'll come into bed with me, which Prissy does not do. He's a very friendly cat, and I'd love for Carmine to grow up with, with him as a pet because he's only a year old. He's a very young cat, and he's very patient with Carmine. He doesn't get upset if Carmine, you know, touch pets him a little too aggressively or anything. He's a very good cat. So what we've been dealing with for the last, I don't know how long we've been doing this, two weeks, 
is Prissy's been the problem. We got these pheromone things that were supposed to calm everybody down. Prissy still is standoffish. So we keep them separated at night because otherwise they'll both end up in Carmine's room and they'll fight and they'll wake him up and it's just a terrible situation. So we keep Ed in my office and then Prissy gets to go wherever she wants. So yesterday, Ed was the person much more aggressive with Prissy. He went after Prissy yesterday. So much so that both my wife, my wife was screaming. She was concerned because they were getting pretty violent. And I had to step in between the two of them to separate them. And it's clear it's really not, not going to work out. So I'm hoping either if things don't improve that we can find a good home for uh, Ed because I'd love to keep him. And we got these, as someone recommended, this CBD oil for the cat. That should arrive tomorrow. Hopefully that helps. But it's uh, not looking good. Not looking good. And it's not fair to Prissy. She was there first. This is her home. It's not fair to her to live in perpetual fear and anxiety. I mean, my thinking is with what happened with Ed is that when he would first moved to our house, he was on his best behavior. He was trying to make a good impression with everybody. But now that he's kind of gotten the lay of the land a little bit, now that he sees the way things are, now he's starting to come into his own a little bit. And he's saying to Prissy, all right, you want to mess with me? I'll show you how we street cats do it. Because she, he was a street cat. And I'm hoping this doesn't escalate. We'll see where it goes. All right. Uh, Taylor Swift, Stephen Hawking, Elvis Presley, Airplanes, Golden Globes, Garfield, EMPs, Lloyd Austin. I don't know of another haircuts. I don't know of another radio program in America that covers this amount of ground in this short of a time. If you want to comment on any of it, you're welcome to 800-848-9222. We're going to do 15 seconds of fame uh, coming up in about uh, six minutes. And um, well, that's where you get to comment on anything you like for 15 seconds, 800-848-9222. If you want to start queuing up, you can. All right. Um, It was on this day in 1790 that uh, George Washington delivered his first State of the Union message. It was not a speech. It was handwritten, I believe, as was the case, I think, until Woodrow Wilson and World War I. So the the Constitution says there's got to be a State of the Union message it does not say it has to be a speech. Uh, by the way, the Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson, did issue an invitation, a formal invitation, which you know they generally do, to President Biden to deliver a State of the Union in March. I think it's the first week in March. It's going to be very interesting timing. It's going to be right in the mix of Super Tuesday, and it's going to be right in the mix of uh, when one of these Trump trials is supposed to have been is supposed to start we'll see uh, my hunch is that trump trial will be delayed a bit i mean it seems like the trump strategy at least on the federal cases but even the state cases is to or at least the georgia case is to delay these as much as possible so we'll see all right 800-848-9222 this is the other side of midnight straight ahead the other side of midnight Side at midnight with Frank Morano. 
the late great Andy B singing our theme song there. Seven minutes until the top of the hour. You know, um, Aaron just messaged me on Instagram about this uh, coverage of the Stephen Hawking um, orgy allegation. He said, how would he participate in an orgy? He couldn't move. His whole body was paralyzed. I don't get it. I mean, I don't get it either. But you know what? And, and again, I'm not saying this was Stephen Hawking because we now know from this woman that he worked with once in 2015 that he was not an orgy guy. But um, what I was saying is um, if you are an orgy guy, you find a way to participate. You find a way. I'm not saying Stephen Hawking was, but, you know, so be it. By the way, on Instagram, I just uh, put up some photos of uh, Carmine in the uh, with his handy new haircut. So very, very much an adult um, haircut. So you could check it out at uh, Morano Vision, M-O-R-A-N-O Vision, M-O-R-A-N-O-V-I-S-I-O-N. Tomorrow, I got a lot of good stuff tomorrow. I think Professor John Banzaff is going to be here. Uh, if not, he'll be here the the following day. And uh, a lot of good space stuff this week. We got Dr. Sky on Wednesday, a great uh, a great uh, physicist, Dr. Paul Sutter, is going to be here on Friday. You know, it's funny. I have this such a weird sleep schedule. You, you know, sleep is one of those things where, at least when you work our hours, I don't know if this is your experience, but when you work our hours, you can never sl- seem to be asleep when you have time to sleep. And then when you don't have time to sleep, you're exhausted. And all you want to do is sleep. It's it's really, it's like the, the worst of times and the worst of times. So anyway, I found myself up super early on Saturday morning and Sunday morning. I, again, I didn't want to be up. I'm just wide awake. And I end up, you know, getting some work done. And I'll put on the History Channel in the background. And I just discovered this great Dan Aykroyd show it's kind of like William Shatner's show, The Unexplained, but I think it's like all the shows on the History Channel. Uh, it's called The Unbelievable. It's got some really cool stuff. I stole so many great ideas for future so- show subjects from this Dan Aykroyd show, The um, The Unbelievable. You know, there's this whole series of people that have superhuman abilities, and there's this one guy who never really played the piano before. His name is uh, is Derek. He never really played the piano before, and he gets hit in the head, and he becomes an expert concert pianist. He's going to be here on uh, on Friday. How cool is that? I'm excited to hear his story and to share it with you, and uh, got some other good stuff coming your way as well. All right. 800-848-9222. Let's give you an opportunity to be heard for 15 seconds as part of... The Other Side of Midnight. This is 15 Seconds of Fame. Fame. E. Frank. Yes, uh, Frank, um, the present coach of the New York Jets, Robert Sala, has indicated that anybody like former quarterbacks, Zach Wilson, can make it in America and win the Super Bowl. Raji. Nathaniel haters are spreading rumors that he, in fact, allowed October 7th to happen in order to save himself from jail and to invade Gaza. Mike. Morning, Frank. 
an EMP would be catastrophic to the other side of midnight radio. You'd have to set up lawn chairs and do the show from your front porch. If you build it, they will come. Maybe Rachel could serve refreshments. Robert. Ed's best friend is a really affectionate, sweet, friendly, wonderful cat. He's a keeper. Rocco. It looks like Caligula is back in style. Orgies and the New York Times writing about Taylor Swift's sex life that she may like girls more than guys. I think Caligula is back. Orgies, Frank. Or- 800-848-9222. Rusty. Yeah, I was wondering, when you have Peter King on your show, which comes first, wind or bag? Well, that's a little, a little mean, Rusty. Um, first of all, I don't know the last time Pete was on this show, but second of all, Pete, Pete King's a great guy. If you don't uh, agree with him, just, you know, don't agree with him. Bob! <laughs> Frank! Roses are red. Kamala's not black. Joe has dementia. And Hunter's on... Jimmy! Is a moron, is a moron, is a moron, is a moron, is a moron. <laughs> Jack. The dude from uh, that needs the bone marrow, his cousin, all he had to do, according to Anthony Weiner, is say, seek for asylum, and he's legal. All right. Thank you, Jack. All right. That slams the lid on things for today. I'll be back tomorrow. A lot to get to. And um, I'll look forward to hopefully joining you. Uh, we'll have some fun. We'll hopefully enlighten the mind. Uh, share a few laughs and a whole lot more. Frank Moreno, good day.